Just a quick heads up that I am currently on maternity leave, which means that the Fertility Co podcast is taking a break. But please don't panic because I'm already working on some exciting things behind the scenes. And when I come back, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you a brand new, completely free mini course all about ovulation and finding your fertile window. In the meantime, there are still heaps of ways that you can continue to learn about your fertility and your menstrual cycle while I take a break. If you're just getting started with charting your cycle, you can check out my free fertility roadmap. If you want to dive deeper and learn exactly when you're ovulating, then you can watch my Fix Your Fertility Masterclass. There is, of course, also my Conceive with Confidence workshop series and, of course, my flagship online program, Fertility School. If you want individualized support from a trained fertility educator, that's me, then you can book in to my wait list for a one-on-one consult. And I would love to work with you to achieve your fertility goals in 2024. Spots are strictly limited though, and links to all of those resources are in the show notes. Rachel and I am obsessed with all things periods, pregnancy, pelvic floor and helping women just like you to navigate all of life's major milestones. I'm a physiotherapist and natural fertility educator and my passion is teaching women how to take control of their health. Fertility, pregnancy, nutrition and menstrual cycle health. We'll dive deep into all of it right here. All those questions you've been secretly googling, all those things you're too embarrassed to ask your doctor because, well, we're women. Shouldn't we just know this stuff so get comfy and get ready to finally have all of your questions answered hit subscribe now and let me teach you what they never taught us in health class Hello and welcome to another Fertility Files interview. In this episode, I'm speaking with Jess, who is a postpartum doula from Melbourne who provides much needed support for postpartum women. She's a mum of one, but she's been struggling to conceive baby number two for over two years now. And despite her struggles to conceive, she loves working with new mums and their babies and says this gives her hope. She's passionate about holistic health and supporting her body to optimize her natural fertility. And she shares about how she and and her partner explored all possible conservative options before seeking assistance. I absolutely love this chat with Jess. I said to her during the episode, we could have easily chatted for many, many hours. Just a heads up though, there is a part of the interview where Jess does go into a lot of detail about one of her pregnancy losses. And this might be a little bit distressing or upsetting for some of you to hear. So what I'll do is I'll jump in just before um, and give you a bit of a heads up just so that you can fast forward if this isn't something that you're comfortable hearing, because I don't want you to miss miss out on the rest of the episode because it is a really, really good one. With that said, enjoy. Thank you, Jess, for being brave and coming on to share your journey. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So can we start by you sharing a little bit about yourself, where you live, who's in your family at the moment and what you do? Yeah. Okay. So I'm Jess. I'm 34 years old. I live in um, the Dandenong Ranges in Victoria. Um, I live at home with my husband, Rob, and my nearly four-year-old daughter, Daisy. Um Yeah. And I'm a doula. So I'm a postpartum doula. So I work with women um, after the birth, I don't do the birth um, at the moment. That might be one thing I look into in the future. But yes, I, I look after mamas and nourish and nurture them after they've had babies. 
So beautiful. It's me. As someone who is deep in the postpartum period, I absolutely <laughs> see how valuable that is. And I have lots of questions oh, about that. Um, yeah. But we'll start with you. We'll start with you and your um your fertility yeah. experiences so far. Mm-hmm. So if we go way, way back to teenage mm-hmm. years, I guess, what was your mm-hmm. relationship like with your menstrual cycle? So do you mm. remember your first period? Do you remember how it all began for you? It began with a bang. So I was probably the first person, or not the first, there was a few of us in my year level. I was in grade six, so quite young. Um, And I remember feeling kind of like it was a positive thing in a way to be one of the first um, girls to get my period. But also there was like the shame attached to it. Um, lots of embarrassment and worrying that you're like are gonna leak or smell or like you know all those things that come along with having a period when you don't actually have the right education around it Um, and yeah I quite quickly so I would have been uh, almost 12 um, but yeah I quite quickly developed really heavy periods so it went from um, you know, monthly to then I was bleeding every two weeks. And I remember very distinctly in year eight that it was so heavy that I would leak through my um, pad and my undies and dress and everything sometimes. Um, so, yeah, my relationship with it was hatred because I literally didn't want to get it. And I just saw it as an inconvenience and painful and, um, I'd have to miss school a lot because it ended up being so horrific, the pain. Um, I would just curl up in a ball and cry with a heat pack on both sides, taking painkillers. Um, I didn't understand holistic health at the time. So um, my relationship with 14 like, year olds do. <laughs> no, and I don't think you do unless you're like influenced, you know, with, with it from your parents at that yeah. stage or your friendship group or something, you know, it's got to come from somewhere. And I don't think I was surrounded by that at the time. Um, So, yeah, so I guess like just painkillers and that's just how I survived. Um, Yeah. Is that how you thought everyone else experienced it too? Like Mm. being 14, like sometimes we talk about it with friends and things, but did you recognise then that like this isn't necessarily normal or typical or was this just what everyone goes through? I kind of, um, like I had an older sister, she was 10 years older. Um, so, you know, I had, I, I did know about them, but still it wasn't spoken about like a whole heap of my family. Um, but yes, I did kind of think period pain was normal. I thought like, that's just normal. Everyone gets period pain. Um, but I did think that I did have like a, a lot more bleeding than most of my friends. And that was kind of abnormal and scary. Um, and it did lead me to get like some well not really testing I didn't get a heap of testing done but I did go and see like a GP about it um and yeah so I was 14 and I remember having like a cyst burst on my ovaries one day or one night actually I woke up and I was in like excruciating pain and then I had to go to the hospital and that's when they discovered I had um, cysts on my ovaries so they didn't call it polycystic ovary syndrome at the time. It was just polycystic ovaries. And, um, yeah, so they were saying that that was probably linked to the heavy bleeding. Um, and then the GP put me on the contraceptive pill. So that was the so-called treatment, um, mm-hmm. which, 
at the time I didn't question <laughs> and neither did my parents. And we just kind of thought like, cool, that's what everyone does. And look, it. And your symptoms um, went air, away. So. I was fine. Yeah, exactly. Air quotes, air quotes. I was fixed. Um, yeah. Because I didn't obviously ovulate or actually have a problem menstrual cycle after that. It was all yeah. just, you know, based off the pill. So, um, yeah, of course, like the pain subsided, the bleeding got lighter. I had a 28 day cycle. Yeah. All of that stuff seemed to me like it was fixing it. Um, yeah. So that's my, <laughs> my first experience with like, I guess, intervention and how you can go somewhere with an issue and they just, um, they don't actually look at the root cause, like what is causing this in your body? Like, why is this actually happening to you? It's just like, okay, here are your symptoms and let's like just mask that. Um, and now I'm 34 <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm having repercussions from that decision to go on the pill. So and how long were you on the pill for? 10 years. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. To, uh, 10, yeah. And so what was it that made you come off? I reckon, so I was, it was kind of start stopping um, the effect, effectiveness of it was actually like okay. ceasing. So I remember like getting the pain back um, as, uh, yeah, really severe period pains again. And also I was getting a lot of bloating, weight gain, um, just all these symptoms. And I tried changing to different brands because I remember my GP just being like oh just try this one this one's like more expensive but you know um you won't gain weight and whatever so just went on it um and and that I just like had enough so by 21 I decided to go to a gynecologist and have some more investigations and they did find endometriosis um through a laparoscopy so I did have like a surgery and um yeah, when I woke up, I just remember them saying, look, you had endometriosis, we've removed what we could. Um, that was probably what was causing all your um, pain and everything. Um, and then actually probably got off the pill not long after that. So maybe I was only on it for like eight years, so about 22 years old. Um, I decided to try and get off the pill and see if my period kind of naturally just started to do its thing. Um, and yeah, I did have a lot less pain actually after having that um, endometriosis removed. And yeah, I, I remember feeling like happier, <laughs> like general, like just a happier person. Like I wasn't in this like fog and I was like, oh my gosh, like being off the pill is actually like life-changing. Like for all those years, I just felt like I was in a fog. I couldn't think straight. I felt moody, like weight gain, this and that. And then, you know, for a while you're in your 20s and so you're <laughs> drinking and doing all those things as well. So like not living the healthiest of lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think then that impacted my health in other ways. So like coming off the pill was awesome, like really found that to be quite a positive thing. Um, but then... Yeah, then we get, yeah, got married towards the end of our 20s, so 28. Um, and then, yeah, we wanted to have a baby, like, pretty pretty quickly after that. Well, I would I had said, like, you know, by 25 I really wanted a baby. Um, 
And that is because when I saw doctors, they would always say to me, you're going to have a really hard time falling pregnant. You're going to struggle. So you need to start when you're 25. Like they would put that number in my head. Um, 25 came and went. We weren't ready. I was at university. Like it just wasn't the time. How did that feel? Like when doctors put that that timeline on you and like you turn 25, then you turn 26 and you're just like. Oh, yeah. What do I do? Like, how does that? It just felt like so much pressure. It was just like putting a pressure cooker around our relationship and our finances and buying a house and renovating. And like, it just felt like it's just unfair because it wasn't true (laughs) for one. Um, And it just felt like doom and gloom. And that was it. Like, that was my only option was you know, 25, and then after that it's like, yeah, your chances are minimised. Game over. It's not happening. Game That's, over. Oh. Yeah. And it's so young. It's just so not young. Hey, like are ready to have yeah. a baby at 25. No. Well, I, yeah, we weren't. <laughs> we definitely weren't no. when that time came. Um, so, yeah, we were, we did wait until our late 20s um, when the house was renovated and a few more things were set in stone. So we felt ready. Um so, yeah, that's kind of like what led us to our first conception journey, <laughs> mm-hmm. all those period issues and, um, yeah. yeah, and the pill and all the rest of it. And then, yeah, we ended up being, I think, yeah, 29 when we fell pregnant. So, so how long yep. were you trying for before you got pregnant? Uh, so it was about six months, yeah. Okay. With yeah, so yeah, not too long. So mm-hmm. at the time, it feels long. <laughs> Every course, month that goes yes. past, you're like, oh gosh, is this ever going to happen? And if, especially because in my head, I had that, you know, the doctors in the background saying like, oh, you're going to have a really hard time conceiving, and so that was my narrative. That was my story that I ran with, um, and it was quite hard like month after month not conceiving and then hearing like friends like oh yeah we got pregnant on the first time or we accidentally got pregnant and um but yeah look in hindsight I had no flipping clue about my cycle (laughs) I had no idea I had no idea what to look for not no idea about fertile signs um I had a great awakening I call it so you know, we'd been trying, so I thought, um, from our wedding was in January 2018. Um, so we'd been like trying, um, and then it got to May and nothing had happened. And I decided to go and get some acupuncture done. And my amazing Chinese medicine doctor had kind of just awoken everything in me. And she'd asked me these questions. And I was like, she's like, what, you know, when do you see cervical mucus? And I was like, ew, what is that? Like, what are you talking about? Like, is that just like when you have an infection or like, I had no idea. I was 29 years old and I didn't know about my body. Um, And yeah, it kind of just asked me about like, how long was it between your last period? And I was just like, I don't know. I don't track like months. And she's like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's try and track it. Like, let's try and like just download an app or do it on paper or something. And let's just like get some data. So we can work it out. So yeah, May 2018, I wrote down in the app just like a few things about 
when my period came, um, if there was pain associated, da da da. Um, and between May and June, I had a 48 day cycle. So there's like her first bit of data or my first bit of data, but I could then tell my Chinese medicine doctor. Um, so then she was like, okay, so you're having like really, really long cycles, um, probably like an an ovulatory or, you know, maybe you are ovulating when it's like really late or whatever. Um, so then between the June cycle, um, I actually didn't get a period again because we got pregnant from that but I still actually have no idea how. <laughs> so it is like a miracle. She is like a miracle baby because it was 44 days between Yo. my last period and the day I got a preg- positive pregnancy test, 44 days. Wow. So somewhere in there, <laughs> I don't know what something day, happened. something happened. I did note down, like I did go back and have a look at my chart and I was like, okay, there are like three consecutive days that I wrote cervical mucus um, increase and I wrote that it was stretchy. And are they the days that you tried? Yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. what happened. I actually ovulated <laughs> and I actually got pregnant. So it's amazing. Oh, I know. <laughs> I can't actually believe it. But <laughs> it's just that change of, I guess, awareness um, and being aware of it. And, and it's there. It's just that we ignore it. It's there. Yeah. I just didn't want to know about it. I thought it was gross. Like, you know, <laughs> I think, yeah, you like you go to the bathroom and you're just like, oh, what is that? Like Why something that wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's actually like so beautiful. Now I'm just like, I'll tell you a bit more about my journey now, but now I'm just like dying to see it. I'm like, where is oh. this mucus? <laughs> like I need this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's the that's Daisy's pregnancy. So that's how that all happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I just remember I was at the gym that night that I did the test and I remember we were doing like Superman, so it's where you lie on your belly and you put your arms mm-hmm. and legs out. And I remember going like, oh, ouch, like my boobs are hurting so much in this position, like lying on the floor and then being squashed. And I just thought, I'm going to go home and I'm going to take a pregnancy test. Um and, you know, I'd done many pregnancy tests in the time leading up to this one. But, yeah, um, it came up straight away and then, like, I didn't even think of, like, a cute way to tell Rob. Like, I was just, like, <laughs> ran out. <laughs> just grabbed him. Oh, my God, that's <laughs> positive. And he's just, like, okay, wait for the doctor. Like, wait for the blood test. Like, don't get your hopes up. And, you know, you know men are very logical, so... Mm-hmm. I was very romantic about it all. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. So how far along would you have been when you t- when you got the positive test? Well, I don't know. This is the thing. So because it was four, I was 44 <laughs> days into my cycle, so it's like I could have been two weeks. 
Yeah. I could have been. I know like I did look back at when I took tests and I took a test 10 days before that and it was negative. So, I, yeah, I, I reckon I was like maybe only like say 12 to 14 days past yeah. ovulating when I yeah. when I took the test and got a positive. So, and yeah. That's interesting because like then that affects due date. Oh, it when does, yes. Cycle and then, yes, like whatever babies aren't born on their due date anyway. But then, if they're exactly. looking at a due date and then you're going down the path of induction and everything else, yeah, it has an yeah. so it, it totally it does. Yeah, I argued absolutely. With my doctor about my um my conception date, and then I was just like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but <laughs> no, because you'll just do what you want in the end. Exactly, because <laughs> yeah. it's your choice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It does affect those things, definitely. So it is good to know and be able to pinpoint it, um, yeah, just for that kind of information. But yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so did you have your diagnosis of PCOS then, okay. like before yeah. Daisy, or is that afterwards? Good question. Um, so I was told I had polycystic ovaries but not the syndrome. So that was what I kept getting from doctors, but I always had like symptoms of it right like the syndrome and they had to do this specific like you have to tick these boxes to get boxes literally like they couldn't just say it they couldn't just be like oh you have this syndrome like I had to I only got diagnosed officially with it last year so the the beginning oh 2021 sorry so um two years ago so the doctor um who I saw the functional medicine doctor he did lots of like thyroid tests and insulin tests and you know like a really thorough check and yeah it came back like I have insulin resistance and like my HbA1c was elevated so you know pre-diabetic and that is like linked to your blood sugars and obviously Mm -hmm. that is a PCOS or PCOS um symptom what would you call it like I guess like a yeah um a, a box to tick basically yeah it's that yeah. and hair yeah. loss hair loss yeah. weight gain you know like cysts on your ovaries but you don't have to have cysts on your ovaries so it is actually like a metabolic condition um yeah. it's very misunderstood very misunderstood Absolutely. so yeah and so how long is that between so they told you mm. you had polycystic ovaries when you were a teenager mm, yeah and so it's taken what 10 years more, <laughs> 10 years well maybe years. 15 yeah because I would have been like that 32. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So a really long time. Um, and, yeah, I've always had like elevated liver enzymes and that's also linked to it as well. So they can't – they've always said to me like, oh, you've got like a liver like an alcoholic. And I'm like, well, I, oh, wow. you know, I've gone through periods where I had, haven't drank for six months and I'll still get that mm. same result. So that's another PCOS thing. So like the fact that no one found out about it. It just blows my mind. Um, and it I had, also I had it, everything. I had, I had everything. Yeah. It was all there. Yeah, no one put it together until like 2021. Because, um, yeah, who knows? Like I could have like been more aware of it and like lived yeah. a lifestyle that was more like conducive to healing it because um, it is like you and can so treat it. what are you doing now? So now, now to manage my PCOS, I take Inositol. I don't know how you say that. I think that's right. Inositol is um, – it's like a sugar, right? But it actually, well, it's like a supplement. It's a natural supplement, not a synthetic supplement. Um, 
and it lowers your insulin resistance. So it actually helps you metabolize carbohydrates and sugars. Um, they did put me on metformin, but I reacted to it. So I got off that quite quickly, which apparently is super rare to react to metformin. But hello, here I am. I had a, a rash all over my body, so oh, wow. I'm proof of that. Um, it just didn't sit well with me either to go on to it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just trying naturally to lower my insulin. So I'm having really high-protein breakfasts, start my day with, like, heaps of protein. Every meal um, I have to have a protein trying to aim for 100 grams a day. Um, I'm doing lots of yoga, walking. I'm trying to, like, not do, like, you know, HIIT or anything um, high-intensity or cardio-based because I know, like, it's different for everyone. But my cortisol levels are the main issue with my PCOS. So when they're elevated, um, my symptoms worsen. So um, my cycles go really long if I'm ever stressed. So um, doing exercises that actually like try and keep that in check, it's really tricky. It's like such a fine balance because you have to exercise, right, to keep your insulin levels low and yeah. um, blood sugars low, sorry, in, insulin. But don't do too resistance. much. But don't do too much because you'll get like high cortisol. Um, yeah, it's a very tricky disease. The balance it, of hormones it's is ridiculous. It's, it's so really delicate. tricky. Yeah. Um, I'm also doing mm-hmm. acupuncture. what else am I doing? (laughs) I'm just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, just trying to be de-stressed, like just de-stressing my whole environment, my whole life. Um, Meditation, trying to get to bed earlier, less screens. So trying to have no phone after 9pm, which is tricky when you run a business and you're a mum, because that's when all your Mm mum friends want to chat when the kids have gone to bed. So yeah, just like putting those little things into practice daily as much as possible and not aiming for perfection because I can't be perfect. Um, this is going to be my life forever. So I just need to make sure it's something I can maintain um, and trying not to restrict myself too much with things. So like if I feel like having a pizza, I'll have a pizza um, and I'll just make sure that you know, I'm looking after my body in terms of like the whole week, looking at at like, okay, this week I'm going to have a takeaway one night. So let's make sure that I'm eating lots of high protein, really nourishing, nutritious foods, like surrounding that. Um, And it doesn't feel like restriction then. So that's such a healthy way of looking at it. Healthy, yeah like, obviously not healthy in, in that yeah sense, i know what like, you mean, you know what I mean? like it's a, just it's a balanced approach for your exactly yes. right and for sustainability because yeah. like mm. all well and good to take it to the mm. extreme to cut out all your carbs and be keto <laughs> yeah yeah you can't do it yeah. forever you can't do it forever and that's what you said this is no. your life this isn't just a period of time this is forever it's and forever so yeah such a such a good way of looking at it i think yeah Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have you noticed, like, by doing all of these things and implementing all of these things, have you noticed a difference in your cycles now that you're looking at yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah. So I reckon, I'm just trying to think. So when I started um, taking inositol and having acupuncture, I'm just trying to think, and doing yoga, I reckon those three things were, like, the things that made my cycle change more drastically. So it, they became 35 days. So I, I actually, in 2021, I had no period for five months. So nearly wow. half the year. Um, 
And then, yeah, when I got that diagnosis and I started doing all those things, which was hard because we were also in like COVID lockdowns and stuff. So that's because you're in, yeah, you're in Victoria. We're in Victoria. So we were in and out, you know, it was a very stressful year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I could see like it was like helping and then they go like missing again, missing periods. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it is, it's directly linked to stress. So I can take the supplements, I can do the acupuncture, I can exercise, that's all helping, but it is my stress. So as soon as I like could link that, um, yeah, and then when I'm like I can tell like when I'm like good and I'm in control of my like nervous system and everything, my cycles are that kind of like 35 days. They're still long. They're still like really, you know, annoyingly long because it means less time to conceive in a year if you have yeah. a longer cycle, yeah. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um and also you wait a lot longer <laughs> for everything. You wait to ovulate, you wait to find out if you're pregnant. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's hard. So, yes, we did manage, like me and the acupuncturist worked together and we like did manage to get them to like around 35 days, so um, more right. predictable, much more predictable. So you've said that you've spent about two years trying to conceive at the moment and mm. in addition to your PCOS diagnosis, your partner mm-hmm. has also had sperm analysis done. Yeah, yep. So we made sure we did that um, because it's not all on to the, on the female, is it? Um, so no. he went, <laughs> no, no, no. So he went and had that <laughs> done, um, I think it was 2021 as well. So that's kind of when we yep. got all our data. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, it came back most of the parameters were normal, so normal sperm count and fertility. Um, that's based on a fertility specialist saying that. If I took it to a naturopath, I know they would say there's improvements to be it's made. Definitely different. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but, yeah, it's in, like, the normal range. Um, but, yeah, the morphology was pretty low, so that was 2% okay. normal. Um, and they only look for 4%. <laughs> Like it's it's a really low bar. Like they just try and find like the minimum. Um, so yeah, we haven't retested him though. Like I feel like we need to maybe do that because I feel yeah. like it would have ha- have improved. Um, he's put in a lot of effort as well, um, working on his you know fertility. So things like dropping, um, sorry, not dropping, stopping drinking during. Mm-hmm the week that was tricky to say um so (laughs) just keeping like beers to the weekend so instead of like having a couple beers every day and then like six on a Saturday or something it's just like keeping the beers to the weekend um Mm -hmm. so limiting alcohol um you know going for walks he works a really physical job he's a chippy so um you know he does do a lot of like the strength and heavy lifting and stuff in his day so he's not someone who wants to come home and hit the gym um, he's sweating pretty much all day and working hard. So for him going for like a walk, we live somewhere really hilly and he can just go for like walks and um, yeah. And also de-stressing as well. That's really important. That's a nice decompression yeah. for him as well, just walking. Yeah. Cause like when we got everything checked, they were like, what we can see is his oxidative, oxidative, oxidative. I can't remember that word. Stress. Mm-hmm. Yep. is high so that's going to cause um yeah issues with the sperm so yep. you know just working on those he's taken um a prenatal as well which was my chinese medicine doctor got him on to mm-hmm. so and yeah he's like noticed even energy and 
you know, just a few changes in himself from taking it, um, just being a bit more excited about life and things like that. So, um, yeah, I've noticed like when he comes off it because, you know, you do get overtaking supplements and he's had like a bit of a lull a month or something mm-hmm. not taking it and he does feel different. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think those things have definitely helped. I don't know, like, if we need to do another analysis, we might look into that just to compare them yeah, um, and see if there has been improvement, but, yeah. Yeah, and it's good that he's seeing a difference day to day by doing these things because I think, like, especially for males, like yeah. getting them on board with this stuff is hard. <laughs> um, um, and yeah. <laughs> it's just the women yeah um but yeah just to be able to see like a positive difference so it's not just about you know because obviously sperm and numbers we can't see that in our day-to-day no no if you can see the other positives in his energy and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff then it's so much easier and like you said it's sustainable it's long-term change yeah absolutely it's not just about you know conceiving now it's that long term and yeah fertility is that state of health rather than exactly pregnant now yeah because yeah, fertility awesome. it's just like an indicator of your health isn't it like it, fertility exactly is right. just telling you like your body's good to go so obviously you're like primed you're healthy and you're ready yep. but if you're not falling pregnant easily there are changes that need to be um, made and you know things that need to be adapted so that your body does get to that like state of fertility exactly so. right yeah and so you've been given the diagnose the diagnosis I use mm. quotes, of secondary infertility is that right yeah yeah so no one's How does that really you? well like you know what no <laughs> one's actually said those words to me okay. so no one yep. so we did see like um a gp who specialized in natural fertility um and she kind of started to say it and then she said you know what so like a very negative word and she's just gonna say let's call it subfertility so I liked <gasps> that my favorite person I ever. liked that a lot yeah <laughs> so I was like okay that sounds so much better because I was like I just yes. feel like infertility just sounds like doomy and gloomy and it's like yes. that's it you're infertile and it's not gonna happen but subfertile yeah. gives me like that we're nearly there <laughs> like we're getting yes, closer exactly yeah right. it's just suboptimal I, so- it will mm. be out by the time your interview comes out, but I recorded a podcast episode exactly about that, exactly oh, about cool. why I hate the word infertility and why I like the word subfertility. Oh, there you go. Boom. It was literally, <laughs> it was like the episode that was swimming around my head, all of maternity oh, wow. leave, the one I wanted to record. Yes. I was so triggered by like that word. The yeah. Of the word. Yeah. So I love, I love to hear that. I love Okay, that. cool. <laughs> yeah. Like it's happening happening people it's getting out there people utility which is fantastic yeah and exactly right so like mm. exactly what you said it's suboptimal it's mm. not great but we can fix it yeah that's, that's right that's yeah so much better for your for your mental health for your yeah. for all of the hard for work hope. That you and your husband are doing <laughs> yeah exactly it's not yeah. in your infertile it will never happen yeah much nicer so, oh. <laughs> yeah for sure. She's so yeah, favorite. <laughs> she, she's a legend, but she's not practicing at the moment. She's doing research. So I'm like, ah. Oh. 
just before we get into the next part of this interview, I just wanted to give a bit of a trigger warning for the next conversation. So Jess shares her experience with miscarriage and it is a little bit graphic and a little bit detailed. So if this is something that you're not ready to hear, um, skip ahead a couple of minutes and keep going with the chat because it's super valuable. But please know that that is coming up in the next little while. You know, we, we've done so many things now. Like, so our journey kind of, I don't know if you want a little recap of it, but um, yeah. started in Jan 2020. Um, I accidentally fell pregnant. I didn't even mean to. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even know how it happened again. And I didn't know I was pregnant. I just kind of felt like my cycles were really long anyway. So I was just like, oh, okay, I don't have a cycle, da, da. Um, and then I got like really crampy, um, pains in my lower abdomen and I felt really off and just felt horrible and sick. And, um, a couple days later, I actually passed something that looked like too, maybe too much information, a bit of triggering here, but it did look like, um, maybe like a six week old, like fetus, oh. like as in like a, you know, six weeks pregnant fetus, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it just it had like, you know, the curving of the spine and like an eye shape and it had little hands and everything. So it was kind of like this probably even a little bit further along. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know when I would have fallen pregnant. I have no idea. Just having those really long cycles um, made it really hard. So I was just on the toilet and I was like, oh, my God, and I took a photo and I sent it to my sister who is a um, midwife. Um, and she sent it to her obstetrician friend and they confirmed it. They're like, yeah, that's what it is. Um, I'm just like, how does this even happen? Like I had no idea, no symptoms, nothing. Um, I think I'd even done a pregnancy test because I was like, gee, this is a really long cycle and it was Mm -hmm. negative. Um, so the HCG must've just stopped or something. So anyway, that was like our first loss, um, I was shocked more than anything because we weren't really ready to have another baby. And um, I think I had a Daisy was eight months. So I was like really not yeah. ready. I was still in my postpartum. <laughs> like I still felt, you know, so the the emotional, like I did cry flushing oh, it. I was like, I this is horrific. To find out that way is very yeah. confronting. Very, yeah. very confronting. And I remember seeing like me and my husband went for a walk that afternoon um just a slow one because <laughs> I was in a bit of pain but yeah I remember like seeing a family with like two little kids who looked close in age and I just cried and said to him like I wonder if it was a boy or a girl so like yeah it did still affect me even though we weren't planning it because it's still it's like you know a little life and um it didn't get to live it so that was really hard and then I kind of was like you know what because I'm a bit of a believer in the universe has my back Mm -hmm. so I was like Mm -hmm. you know what universe I've I know you've got a plan and I know that this wasn't the right time um for us and that when it is it will come and then 2020 November so we'd been through a pretty horrible year obviously but November everything started to open up and we'd booked a weekend away um and just before we went away on the weekend, I did a pregnancy test and it was positive. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm pregnant. I'm going to tell him and it's going to be like this beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told him and he was so excited. Um, and 
at this point Daisy was like one and a half so I kind of thought like that's a nicer age gap and whatever um so I was like you know all excited thought Christmas will tell everyone had this plan and then while we were away on the weekend I started bleeding so I think they call that a chemical pregnancy so it's when it's like you get a positive and then um yeah doesn't form so yeah that hit me harder that hit me harder because I was literally like we were ready we were ready we were ready ready for this baby to come and then that happened so yeah and then since then so up until now it's just been um it's been a little bit confusing so we've had I've I don't know if these tests are dodgy (laughs) but I've had positive lines from these tests a couple of times and then bleeding so um Mm. it seems to be like recurrent thing for me but also a lot of people have said like yeah those tests do have lines that look positive and stuff so who knows hey I don't know if it's actually a thing um and yeah we've just tried you know the natural way to do everything because that's how we live our lives we are very holistic and um you know anytime we can do something that's close to nature we'll do that over western medicine or Mm -hmm. um yeah choosing anything medicalized or induced or forced onto the body so for us like we've chosen now to do ovulation induction um and that was really hard that was really hard to make that decision for us because of our beliefs and our values um Mm -hmm. but I just think after like we've got my cycle to a 35 day place but I'm still not seeing cervical mucus um regularly like so what's happening is I'll see a little bit and it'll be for one day and then it will go away and then I won't see any again for another few days and then it will come back and then it will go away so it just feels like I'm trying my body's like attempting ovulation and I'm getting like LH surges all the time with the testing strips um so yeah I got to a place where I was like actually feel like I need data on my body (laughs) like I need to know what's happening with my follicles at what point in my cycle and we need to time intercourse and the only way to do that is if I go through a fertility clinic and they scan me regularly um so we made the decision to try letrozole um a low dose letrozole um I'm now on my second round of that um and yeah like knowing what my body is doing is really empowering I wish I could know without a scan I wish I could know without that but um just like you know being like okay your follicle is this many millimeters and your lining is this thick it's kind of like okay we know we're nearing ovulation it's been a big acceptance of yeah maybe needing some help and intervention um at this point because now we're in our 27th month of trying to conceive it's a long time it's a long time time. yeah we persisted you you have and you feel confident going into it that you have done everything conservatively we have and naturally that you could yeah exactly yeah and I think if that's going to give you the extra help and that's going to get you there then yeah 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 I've had to be okay with it and come to terms with it because yeah, like I said, it's it's not really our beliefs and values, but I found that not everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, it's maybe a lesson for me um, that not everything has to be one way or the other. It can be a mixture of both um, and, and integrated. 
um, I'm still doing all the things alongside it. So it's like, you know, I'm still doing my yoga, my inositol, I'm still um, de-stressing, meditating, walking, like I'm still doing all the things, eating high protein. So it's like I feel like I can't do any more. <laughs> I'm like this yeah, is, it, you know, it this is it. That, that element of control still because you're still uh, yeah. it's not like you've canned all of that. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try this. Yes, it's, yes. You're still, you're still doing and you know that all of those things that you're doing mm. is what's going to make the difference. I yeah 100% yeah it's going to support it anyway so so yeah that's where we're at I was hoping to come on the podcast and be like I'm pregnant but yeah it hasn't happened yet um who knows by the time this airs maybe I will be who knows (laughs) but yeah there's always hope there's always hope yeah yeah right and how how does it feel working as a doula mm-hmm. with mums and their bubbers? Yeah, while going through this in your personal life. Yeah, that's, that's that a question I get tricky. asked a lot. Yeah, well, it's actually not. It's so funny. No? no, it to me seeing a newborn baby and a newborn mother is the biggest like slice of hope. <laughs> Like, I just look at it and I'm like, oh, it can happen. Like, look at this miracle. Look at what you created. Like, you literally got pregnant and grew this and birthed it and now it's in your arms and you're breastfeeding or whatever. And it just feels like I go in and that's my job and I get to see that. Um, You know what? It's not hard for me with clients. Do you know what it is hard for me with is, like, this might sound really selfish, but sometimes when people announce a pregnancy – who I know, (laughs) like sometimes to me that is like I'm so happy for them but at the same time I'm so sad for me (laughs) because every time it happens it's like, okay, cool, why isn't it me? Like why can't it be be my turn? Do you know what I mean? So for my – but like, yeah, I don't feel that with my clients at all because I don't know, I guess I know that that's my role to support them in that newborn mother phase. Um. And I will love and support my friends, of course. I'm so happy for them and their little miracles <laughs> as well. But it's just that feeling yeah. of like, why not me? <laughs> when's it's my turn. So, I'm yeah. I think that's, that's human. It's human. Mm. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> yeah. The struggles. But, yeah. And good. I feel like I could chat with you for another hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your work as a doula. So yep. for those of you who aren't super, super aware of what a doula is and what mm-hmm. they do and share yeah. a little bit about that. So you said that you work with postpartum. Yeah. So doulas can be full spectrum, which means they do like mm-hmm. um, the preconception, the, the birth and then the postpartum, or they can be uh, specialised in one area. So I specialise mm-hmm. in the postpartum which is the post-birth. So people often link the word postpartum to depression. It just kind of like people think, oh, yeah. postpartum, that's like a, a you know, mental illness. And it's like, no, postpartum literally just means post-giving birth. Um, you can be postpartum if you've had a miscarriage too. So it doesn't have to be a live mm-hmm. birth. Everyone who gives birth is postpartum. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just like I mostly work with them in their early postpartum, but I'm um, – open to working with women in any phase whenever I'm needed so it's just a support I'm just a support person for them a sounding board um you know I can help educate them if they need that but a lot of the times what mums really need is just someone to listen to them 
um, and to honour their mm-hmm. choices. So that's my role. So I just go in. Everyone's so different. Their needs are so different. Um, and I just adapt to what they need. So some need cooked meals. Some need the house tidied up just to feel calm. Some need sibling care so that they can um, have some bonding time with their baby. Some me- need me to take the baby so they can have protected sleep. Um, so without having to like be you know, woken or worried about the baby. And then, um, yeah, some need just the emotional support. So they just actually need like some guidance into the matrescence. So like matrescence is like adolescence or, um, you know, when you, it's another phase, another transition. And that's when you go from being a maiden into a mother. So, um, it's a really, as you've seen, Rachel, probably recently, it's It's like really big transition um and it needs guidance and love and it needs that support so I'm just there to be that for mamas (laughs) yeah and so you would start working with them straight away if they need yeah so they can book me in from the birth of their baby or they can book me in like later so sometimes people like to use me when the husbands go back to work so like six, oh, if they're six yeah, weeks postpartum, yeah. they might just be like, oh, I need some support now. I don't have anyone here. Um, so, yeah. I have one-year-old. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've had, well, how old? I've started with a three-month-old. But, yeah, I'll come and live with you, sure. Oh, my gosh, that's not the first time I've been asked to move into the house. That's so funny. Like a live-in, a live-in doula. I'm like, oh, maybe if I didn't have my own daughter, that would be pretty cool. But yeah, nah, can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how that's often my role. Do you see them? Once how a often week. Do you see the mums once a week? Yeah, once oh, a week. So they can do more often if they like. But my package um, is six weeks. I come once a week um, for about yep. three hours, so about half a day. And yeah. That seems to be a good amount of time because they get tired as well. And I think sometimes when mums are like when I'm there, they just want to chat and stuff and then, mm. um, you know, have that socialization and debriefing yeah. with me. So I think the three hours is enough because then it's That's like, enough, okay, yeah. go to bed. You need to go to bed now. Um, and yeah, they can extend. I've had some mums do 12 weeks with me and stuff. So yeah. Oh, yeah. So lovely. Yeah. It's so important. I think isn't it <laughs> so important coming yes like I think I, I think I'm very typical of first-time mums you spend yep. so much time focused on labor and birth yep you do not give thought to what happens afterwards the fact that you're actually taking the a human that home you're there, exactly right exactly yep. right you're so and I feel like already like thinking ahead for next time I'm like oh the the labor will be the blip on the radar yes all of the focus will be on yes oh beautiful it's, that's great yeah because it is it's we don't think enough about it so I think no what you're doing is amazing. yeah yeah oh thank you yeah I think mm-hmm. it's the work you're doing is amazing with fertility so I've learned so much from you as well <laughs> so thank you <laughs> do you have anything that you would like to share or your biggest piece of advice for anyone mm. listening who potentially is going through something similar to you mm what's yeah. or something that someone has shared with you that has helped you a yeah definitely I think I kind of touched on it before but just it's not about perfection so mm-hmm. you can get pregnant and not be perfect um I think a lot of people who are struggling with subfertility get into that mindset of like perfection and they get 
really hard on themselves. Um, and every time there's a negative pregnancy test, it's like a personal failure. And that's not true. So, you know, sometimes you can do all the right things and you'll still get that negative test. Um, and it's not because, yeah, you failed in any way. So I just think it's really important for people not to focus on perfection. Um, just do the best you can, you know, just um, exercise when you can and eat nourishing, nutritious food as much as, as you can. But it's okay if you miss a few days because you're tired. It's okay if you have a pizza. It's okay if you skip your supplements because they make you gag. It's okay <laughs> if you don't go to acupuncture because it's too expensive. It's like it's okay. We just need to like really be kind and compassionate to ourselves Um and yeah, just aim for doing the best you can. And it's the same as motherhood, isn't it? Like we we can't be perfect mothers all the time. We just need to be the best we can. So yeah. And also another one, a really important one, <laughs> one more, is um, always get a second opinion because I feel like if you're not happy, that is with the first opinion because I feel like if I'd just stuck with the first person I went and saw, I wouldn't have had my diagnosis and I wouldn't have had the um, tools to treat my PCOS. So, yeah, I think it's really important to always seek that second opinion if you feel like something in your gut is telling you it's not quite right. Yes, so, because you know your body yeah. better than you the know your they body. Might have a piece of paper, but you yeah, know they might have the tick box, but you know, yeah, that's yep. it. So, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for your time. It has mm. been so lovely to chat with you. Like I said, I could literally chat with you for another hour. Yes, um, same. Where can people Where can people find you if they want to follow along on your journey or learn, learn yeah. about your work as a doula? Yep. Um, yeah, so I will, like I have Instagram. So my Instagram is nurtured.postpartum.doula. Um, and my website is nurturedpostpartum.com.au. Um, and on my Instagram, I do update about my fertility as well. So um, if you're keen to learn about my fertility journey or just keen to learn about postpartum or motherhood, the whole spectrum, then come along and follow me. And yeah, yep. Beautiful. That's it. Thank you so much. Thank you again for sharing your story. Um, Thanks I for hope, letting me. I hope there are people listening that absolutely will find benefit to it because it's yes. a beautiful story. And you, as you said, it covers sort of all the spectrums. So Yes, yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you for being brave and coming on and sharing. Oh, thanks so much for having me and allowing me to share story, my story because it is important, isn't it, to talk about these things. I hope it was clear in this episode how much I enjoyed chatting with Jess and hearing her story. If you're keen to be a guest on the podcast and share your fertility journey in your own words, then please get in touch. You can DM me, you can email me, or you can head to fertilityco.com.au forward slash fertility files to apply to be on the podcast. These episodes cannot happen without you and your stories. You can get today's show notes with everything that I talked about in this episode, as well as links to freebies and related episodes at fertilityco.com com.au forward slash 53. Bye for now. And don't forget that knowledge is power. When you truly understand your body, you are empowered to make informed decisions and take control of your health. Until next time. 
If you've made it this far, you deserve a huge virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Fertility Co podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so make sure you hit subscribe now so you don't miss when the latest goes live. Why not make my day and leave me a quick rating and review while you're over there? If you want more, head on over to Instagram at Fertility Co, slide on into my DMs and say hello, or you can visit fertilityco.com.au forward slash podcast for show notes and access to all of the freebies that I talked about in this episode. Until next time. Let's talk about TempDrop. TempDrop's wearable sensor and accompanying charting app brings the full fertility tracking solution right to your phone, where the TempDrop sensor on your upper arm during sleep and then just sync to the charting app whenever it's convenient for you. TempDrop believes that every woman should be empowered and equipped with the knowledge to take control of their body. Sound familiar? That's where TempDrop steps in to provide clear science-backed technology to help you to better track your cycle. I only recommend products that I use and love, and I love my TempDrop tracker. You can get 10% off your tracker with the code AFFertilityCo or head to fertilityco.com.au forward slash TempDrop for more information.